Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we, of course, it's the second Sunday in the month. We have to welcome back Graham Sargent from Silky Gardens. No, Silky's Rose Farm in Clombernane. That's right. It yes. dies hard, That's that right. name, Graham. <laughs> I forget it myself too, Pam. Do you? Yes. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Thank you, Pam. And uh, thank you, everybody out in the in the listening world and, and the freezing morning. It is cold, yeah. that's for sure. Down to minus two up our way. This oh, morning. really? But never mind. <laughs> the roses can take it. Yes, yes they can. And you've been really busy, <clears throat> haven't you? In fact, yes. you're going to get busier because um, you're starting your rose pruning demonstrations for the year. Yes, we've been having them at, at, the, at the nursery. We've got one on today at two o'clock. Okay. Yes. So People, can anyone just roll up? Yes, you can turn up and... Um, um, you might e- even end up with a, a free rose plant if you turn up today. Heavens, that's incentive. Yes. Better jump out of bed. So BYO secateurs? Yes. And we'll sharpen your secateurs for you too if you need to ha- have that done. And um, we'll have a look around the garden as well as doing some pruning and see some of the work that we've been carrying out with our water systems. They're forecasting a drought, of course, in the next five years from July on. Okay. So um, we could be in for some tough weather. Okay. Mm. So a great day. So two o'clock start. Yes. Cost? No. No cost? No. Free of charge? Free day. My goodness. Yes. And you get your secateurs sharpened and you might even take home a rose. The bargains galore. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Has to be a bargain if it's free, Graham. Yes. And I gather you're going to continue some of these rose pruning Demos during yes. the next couple of months. Yes, we've got another um, about another four coming up, and then we're going to be working on um, encouraging people to do some summer pruning, which is um, which is the thing that that's really important for roses. <clears throat> Excuse me. The the um, and and with summer pruning, we we give the rose the possibility of putting on anything up to thirty to forty percent more flowers. Okay. So we'll be working with that from um, December on. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. All's well in Clombernone. Yes. Brilliant. Okay. We also have to say a very good morning to Craig Wilson. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Pam. Morning, listeners. How's life up at Gentiana Nursery? Oh, look, it's great. Now I've finished the autumn leaf clean-up. So, oh, you know, <laughs> it takes a while, doesn't it? takes a couple of months, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The garden beds are, of course, all beautifully mulched. Oh, so, yes. Yeah. That's the best part that's of That's the best part. Yes. Yeah. It's the free resource. Absolutely. Yeah. So now we're looking at the winter jobs. Yep. I'm just sort of psychologically preparing <laughs> myself for hydrangeas now. Okay. Yes. It's the next major <laughs> Operation. When do you normally tackle yours? Oh, uh, up to a month ago. Right. And right through winter. Okay. As soon as I can see the big fat buds. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I oh, always wait for that. It makes it so much easier, doesn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've got several hundred to do, so. Several hundred? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What were you thinking of? Oh, <laughs> not, in my, not in my place. There are these in gardens that I work in. Oh, right. In. I okay. Got, got too many at home. Yes. Just the ones I want to propagate from. Yes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness me, you're going to be busy too. Yep, that's right. Doesn't, look, it doesn't take me long. Once you get into the swing of it, it, it's sort of almost automatic. Yep. Yeah. Actually, I must say, I do like the look of, of, um, of the, the sort of autumn colouring on hydrangeas. I'm, I'm never um, in a hurry to cut mine back. 
Absolutely. Some of them are beautiful Some of them at this are time stunning, of the year. aren't That's they? Right. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Some of them still got fresh flowers on them. Really? Yeah. yeah. Goodness. Is that because they're in more sheltered areas of the garden? Or? Oh, they love the hills too. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we had such a great summer. Yes. Yeah. So I gather it's been pretty cold up your way? Yeah, but look, I don't mind. There's nothing that a pitchfork, a wheelbarrow and a pile of mulch won't cure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. The moral is don't sleep in. There's too much work to do. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We've also got to say a very good morning and welcome back to Greg Balderson. Good morning, yeah, Greg. How are you? Yeah, really well. So you're still in this weather going to your markets? Yeah, yeah. I should have been at uh, Malden today, but uh, I... I, I apologise for no, that. No, that's that's my I'm fault. Very happy to come down. Um, and the markets haven't been sort of too busy the last few months, so... Uh, it's, it's sort of a bit of a quiet time at the moment, unfortunately. So um, uh, lots. Of, I've got a few bulbs flowering at the moment, which are which are always nice. But they they sort of come and go very quickly. And and uh, if it's, uh, I think last month's Molden market, it, it rained pretty much all day. So right. You're just standing standing in the rain for seven hours. Isn't yeah, like which, great fun. But, no, it's um, not. It was a beautiful day yesterday at Kyneton, and and I, I'm pretty sure it'll be a, a pretty good day out at Molden today too. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, so the the bulbs sort of come and go pretty quickly. Okay, um, and you've got to hit that mark. If they're open on that day, you you sometimes do all right, and then other times, you sort of they all flush during the week, and then there's nothing on the weekend. Yes, that's open for the markets. And, yes, and you don't do so well. So <clears throat> yes, yes, it, it's a pity that it has to be so visual for people to purchase. It is. It does seem, uh, although the, the markets are funny because you, you really can't. It doesn't make any sense. Most most of the time, it doesn't make any sense. Of you have a, a really good day some days when you've got no colour. Um, you know, you, you only need three people to come in and and uh, keen gardeners and know what what. If they what. know what they're looking yeah, for, yeah. yeah, and then that's fine. They're just happy to grab it. That's right. Yes. Uh, and then other days, if you've got a heap of stuff that's in full bloom and's looking really showy, and there's lots of people around, as you say, people are attracted to the colour, and and um, if they've got some cash in their wallets they're happy to part with it if there's something uh, showy showy for them uh, uh, so yeah but you can't tell and, and some days you have nice a uh, heap of color and it's a nice day and there's people around and you still go home pretty much empty-handed <laughs> um, oh, so it doesn't always make sense but that's I guess that's the you probably get the same in nurseries too when you're oh, waiting, I'd imagine, waiting for yes. people to come, come in as well so that's right um, yeah it's 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 just that in the nursery, you don't have to pack everything and take it somewhere. No, and you've got to pack it, it up then... into the van again yeah, every yeah, day. I mean, it must drive you crazy. It's, uh, it is uh, a little bit of work, but you get used to it. And, and you know, it's nice to get out there and, and meet people that might not go into a nursery mm. too or, or um, uh, yeah, and, and try and, uh, uh, you know, convince people to buy something that they mightn't usually otherwise buy. You know, they might be used to going into a, uh, a, a general nursery and just seeing... Uh, ordinary plant, you know, more common plants, and to try and talk them into buying an oxalis mm. that isn't a weed or <laughs> um, some rare crocus that's taken me 15 years to get enough to sell one of. Now, um, that's the one plant like that. group that I think botanists should try and find a new name for, and then people wouldn't be scared of it. Yeah, it's, it is pretty tough. <laughs> oxalis. The oxalis, yeah. yes. Yeah. As soon as they hear the word, they run. Yeah. It, it is a bit like that, but. Um, you get, you get, I've got an automatic little spiel that I go. Into. Oh, good. <laughs> when, I, when I when I hear the da- the uh, yeah um, when when people go oh, oxalis, I don't want that. And, yeah. Yeah. So uh, and it's always nice to have 
five or six different species in amongst my pots to go, well, there's this one and this one and this one doesn't spread at all and this one's, you know, you can yes. take fill up a bit of space but it's not going to take over your garden and, and you know, there's an oxalis for, for every occasion just about. So well. I think there's so many people that don't realise what a what a... a Big family yeah, of plants yeah, yeah. it is. And Eight, 800. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, they have no yeah. idea. They yeah. only know the one oxalis, yeah. which, which we all know and dread. Yeah. But yeah. 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 I mean, I, I have this issue with my customers too, but I just tell them, you know, in, in a genus of 800 plants, it's inevitable it's going to be some weeds. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well. Do you find, do you find Greg, that, that when you're at a market, um, people are more inclined to actually stay and chat with you, whereas in a nursery, because you often can't find um, the owner or staff, yeah. um, people are, are, have less of an opportunity to actually that, that chat def- about how to grow things? And- definitely, because uh, sometimes I think I've had a really good day and then you realise you've just spent the whole day talking to talking. people. <laughs> and they Not selling, but much. yes. Yeah. Um, but that's that's good. I, that's that's you're still that's imparting knowledge. Yeah, you're yeah, learning. Yeah. So so that's one of the reasons I actually really like going to the markets. Yep, is because you have regulars that come and see you, um, uh, just for a chat. They mightn't want to buy anything that week, or and often they will though. You know, they'll, they'll yep. come in and they'll talk for a while, and you'll talk them into something, <laughs> or or they'll see something they hadn't seen before. But um, yeah, de- definitely you can. Uh, you know, some markets, people are just handing you money and taking pots and then other markets are doing a lot of talking. You think, yes. oh, I've had a good day today and you get home and and uh, and count what you've taken and there's not that much in there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as I say, that's 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 a good part of it. And, and you know, you, you can actually uh, uh, chat to people a bit more in depth about what they're buying or, or trying to convince them that, yes. that a plant isn't what they thought it was or... That there might be something other than, you know, agapanthus or white azaleas to plant exactly. along their garden borders or something. Yes. You know, uh, um, but there's also the thing: if if someone wants to talk to you and there is a lot of people there, it can get frustrating for for everyone when there's only one of you and there's five people waiting to True. To, to have True. a chat or just to give you money or whatever. <laughs> they, whatever they're there for, yep, yeah, fair enough. So so it's, it cuts both ways. But certainly on slow days, it's nice when a regular comes in or someone that's interested in the plants and wants to chat because it, it certainly uh, helps fill up the day. Absolutely. Around, yeah. yeah. No, that's good. Okay, I'm going to – I only have one community announcement, would you believe, uh, at the moment. I think uh, everyone's feeling the cold at the moment and not running events as much. But um, coming up uh, with the Australian Plant Society uh, Yarra Yarra Group, um, they have uh, – uh, let me see. There's oh no, they, they've sent out the notice, but there's um, um, it, Ivanhoe Garden Club have got a talk now. This is coming up on Tuesday, the twenty third of June. Um, Graham Woods from Gisborne is going to be talking about his specialty, which is grevilleas, and particularly the rare ones he's involved in collecting. Now, as I mentioned, this is at Ivanhoe Garden Club. It's at their monthly meeting. Uh, this is held on the corner of Oriel Road and Banksia Street in Ivanhoe, starting at 8pm. Uh, so uh, anyone is welcome to attend. So that, as I say, is Tuesday 23rd of June um, on the corner of Oriel Road and Banksia Street in Ivanhoe at 8pm. And uh, that should be most interesting, talking about grevilleas and some of those rare ones. 
Now, a big reminder to our listeners, and you're going to be hearing hear me mentioning this um, a couple of times this morning because it is very important that I mention to all of you that, of course, next Sunday is our big Gardening Radiothon program. Now, this is where um, this is our major fundraiser for for the station for the year. This is where we raise most of the money through all the different programs that are that are broadcast from 3CR to uh, meet the running costs of the station for the next 12 months. So uh, as per usual, we've got loads and loads of uh, goodies, all sorts of product, books, um, you name it, as we normally have, lots and lots and lots of things to entice you with for next Sunday. And, of course, again, we're going to invite you to come down to the station afterwards at about 10 o'clock when we come off air uh, to have a cup of tea or coffee with us um, I'm going to uh, make sure that I make my uh, usual lemon slices again. I got into trouble one year when I didn't make them and everyone wanted to know where they were. So uh, so there'll be lemon slices there for everyone to have a, a, a good taste of and a chat and pick up uh, whatever product you have uh, uh, put had put aside for you. Uh, it should be a great day. I'd love to everyone to support us it is a very very important day for us and for the station to uh, try and keep that funding going for the next 12 months because of course trying to run a community radio station is not exactly cheap particularly the um, electricity costs alone which are quite horrendous so uh, I do uh, I do ask all of you that uh, listen in regularly um, including all the garden clubs uh, the people that we try and uh, give some publicity to uh, your events during the year to try and support us on our one day of the year. So that's next Sunday. We'll be starting at uh, our usual time slot of 7.30 but running right through until 10 o'clock next Sunday. So uh, do be ready for that one. And uh, we, uh, in the meantime... I'm going to invite our listeners to join us. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, we've got uh, we've got Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clombenane, so any rose questions. We've got Craig Wilson and also Greg Boulderstone, particularly who could answer a lot of um, bulb questions for you, but do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Graham, getting back to um, bare-rooted roses, I know you've been madly potting up all of yours now mm-hmm. um, at the farm, but for people who have ordered bare-rooted roses, if they weren't sure how to prepare the soil and what to do, um, can you run through what they should have done or should be doing when they receive them? Yes, Pam, with with the bare-rooted roses, of course, they're, they're cut back and um, uh, trimmed right off to around about um, 100, 100 um 50 centimetres, but the main thing is when you're planting a bare root rose is to dig a decent sized hole and for that hole to be rough. Um, don't slice the side of the hole when you've got a clay, clay soil because you want the roots to penetrate into that, that rough area. So dig a large hole and then fill that hole up with water then go away and have your breakfast. Come back to um, the, the, um, the work that you're doing once the, the um, water soaked away and um, form up a mound in the middle of the hole and whatever you do with the um, with the planting, never put any fertiliser in the hole. The only safe thing to use is liquid seaweed, which we always recommend uh, for, our, for our roses and uh, we actually give a guarantee on our roses if people use liquid seaweed. Um, 
place the rose in, in the hole up to the, the bud union. That's where it's been grafted onto the rootstock. And you'll see that, or people will see that on the rose. It's, it's usually like a knot on the, on the, where, the, where the actual bush joins the rootstock. Uh, place the rose in the hole and plant it up to where that bud union is. Then push the soil back in the hole and pack it down well. That's an important thing to do. Often people plant plants and they don't um, pack in around the plant. And the packing in is necessary when the plant comes under pressure from wind. Then soak that in, and we recommend that people soak in with liquid seaweed, mix it up in in water in a watering can and and water it well well in. And um, then uh, just leave the plant and don't overwater it. That's one of the important things. It only really needs some water once a week. Mm-hmm. So the the other important thing is that we do get reports of people who have put fertilizer in the hole, and the actual rose will die and actually burn. So it's certainly not wise. But your liquid seaweed is quite safe with mm-hmm. that. So um, um, that's they're the main things to remember when planting a rose. And um, <clears throat> I guess too, people don't realise that that often their bare-rooted rose comes and it actually needs to be pruned on the yes. spot, doesn't it? Yes. People think, oh, I'm wanting it to grow, you know. <coughs> I'm not going to cut it back. Mm. But it's really good for them to actually give it a good firm prune before they plant it. Yes, well, if it's cut back to around about 150 millimetres in length on the, on the branches, what that actually does is force the rose to get up and grow. Yep. Um, we find that in the pots too. If you cut them right back, they 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 get to and 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 come and shoot out with new shoots. Oftentimes they're water shoots, and the water shoots, of course, is part of the plant's survival mechanism. Um, because roses are subject to, to in the natural environment to to um, uh, uh, goats, sheep, and deer, and that's why the roses, roses develop thorns. Um, they're very clever, like most plants are very clever. Exactly. Um, so. Um, if you cut back to, to you know, 150 millimetres from the main stock, it forces that new growth to happen. Mm. And that new growth happens too, of course, when, it comes under, when they come under the pressure from animals. Right. You can imagine a, a thicket of roses being flogged down by, by a whole herd of deer. Yes. Because uh, they take off the top part, which is around, around about the third. They're after all the good nutrition, especially in the rose hips, because mm. um, we know that rose hips are very rich in vitamin C and a lot of minerals. And... Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's an important thing to remember. Good. So when you're planting them, you don't dig in any organic matter at all? No. Um, you can um, put some organic or fertiliser um, compost around in the top section of the soil. Yep. Um, that most, most compost is fairly aerobic, yep. and those, those microbes exist within the first um, – uh, 50 to 100 millimetres of the topsoil. Yep. So there's no real point in putting it right down in the bottom of the hole because you, you're working with different sorts of microbes. And these mm-hmm. are some of the things we're starting to find out about the microbial world. They tell us now we've, we've got another 60,000 soil microbes yet to be discovered. Goodness. Yeah. yeah. And um, that's really very much a part of this carbon debate. And um, we are so uh, in need of tremendous amount of research in this area mm-hmm. it's 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 such an area that um in fact um the people in the scientific world are encouraging young people to get off into the into the soil microbe world because they, they believe there's got a fantastic future mm. yeah yeah right 
We've and certainly... of course, those soil microbes have been destroyed with a lot of chemical fertilizers. Yeah, yes. especially superphosphate. Oh yes, mm-hmm. superphosphate will actually kill worms, mm-hmm. and we've been putting it on 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 our pastures and, and paddocks for for so many years. And of course, they're now they're now found with research that up to sixty percent of fertilizer that's been put on paddocks is actually locked up there. It hasn't been utilized. It's actually locked in the soil. Right. Yeah, and. That in itself, if it's a chemical fertiliser, is certainly not helping the soil microbes. No. Including worms. Yeah. 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 Goodness me. Okay. Um, that number, as I mentioned, we'd love to hear from you this morning. If you have a gardening question, 94190155. That's 94190155. We have uh, Graham Sergeant, Craig Wilson and Greg Balderston in the studio this morning. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and uh, do give us a call. Okay, what's happening around your way? Well, you know, um, always before I come in, I sort of wonder what I'm going to bring in yes. to talk about, and <laughs> I was sort of thinking, gee, there's not much in the garden at the moment. Then you start wandering around with a and pair of secateurs. you realise there's something. <laughs> there's plenty going on. Yes. Yeah. The first thing I bought in is um, one of the Nyphophias, which oh, yes. uh, I'm crazy about. I grow lots of them. This one's Encephalia, so it's a species one. It's fairly variable. But the form that you see most in Australia is, is uh, the flowers start out green and then fade into yellow, and it flowers late autumn, early winter. So there's really there's not a season where I don't have some form of nophophia out in the garden. Okay. And this is the one that covers this time of year. Yes. Yeah, and it's fantastic. And, of course, the, um, the wattle birds are in it all day, mm. yeah, feeding on it. Um, and then after that, of course, comes winter cheer, the big orange one. Yes, right. Everybody's crazy about. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, but that one's perfect on a dull day because that colour really comes to life, doesn't it? It's a beautiful colour for this yes. time of year. Perfect. That's right. Yeah. Down at the Werribee uh, Zoo a few weeks back, and they have lots of those uh, through the Open Plains uh, Zoo down there, and and yeah, it's, and they obviously take a trampling too with you know school groups and things going. Oh, of through. course. Um, but they're just gorgeous. They're these perfect, uh, uh, massive, big flowers all over the all over the zoo. Um, look, they look stunning. Yeah. 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 Good, tough plants. Oh, very tough. Australian yes, gardens. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. And, and as yeah. I say, there's one that you can have almost every, all time of year. Yeah. How big does the bush get actually? Oh, one point five, one point eight, mm-hmm. thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Probably depending on your soil. Right. Uh, but they, they, as as with all the nymphophias, you know, the the leaf mass is not. Exactly glamorous. No. Mm. So you need to plant them in the centre of the bed and get something to screen the leaves out. Right. But yeah. And they withstand the, the dry weather, uh, even drought? Well, I don't know. I don't, well, if they're in weather, yeah, they, they, they do. They do. Yeah. They do. Yeah, they're, yeah. Yeah, they're tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's difficult for me to say that because yeah. I, I grow them you, in you a slightly have. unusual place. <laughs> 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 yeah, the dandelions yeah, there. Yeah, if, if, if well, they, they do. It, it, certainly then. Werribee and, and also up around uh, Woodend and. Um, you know, there's certainly areas in Woodend that are very dry yeah. and all sorts of different soils where they're well-drained or heavy and, um, and yeah, nephophias just seem to uh, pretty much grow wherever. So they're, uh, they're pretty tough. So the, the, the ones that I've seen that probably may not perform well in drier conditions are the smaller ones, Yeah, the little guys. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. But the big ones like Encephalia and Winter Cheer and Zululandica, I'm sure they'd be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, what else have you got there? Look, increasingly in my rock garden, when I see a space, I'm starting to fill it with dwarf pines. Okay. 
Uh, these are developed from witches' brooms. If, if people don't know what a witch's broom is, it's, it's a uh, part of a branch on a big pine tree where you'll find something which looks like a mistletoe, sort of compact and knotty. And the the, the, um, the nursery men will get up there and take cuttings and graft it onto the, um, the species. And you, there's all these new uh, dwarf pines coming out all the time. And um, I'm finding them to be really robust little plants. Right. And slow growing, which is, of course appeals to me. Yes. They're not going to take over your garden. No, really. exactly. Yeah. When um, you say dwarf, how big? <clears throat> well, most of these ones that I've got here have been in the garden for about 15 years and they'd be a metre by a metre. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So quite small. Yes. Yeah. Perfect for bonsaiing too, no doubt. Well, no. The bonsai, bonsai, you better to go for the big species. Okay. Because um, the little ones are too slow. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep, yeah, fair it enough. Takes you, it takes you 10 lifetimes. For, to maybe for the lazy one. bonsai then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you find that the Japanese don't use what, what they call the yatsubusa or the dwarf forms for bonsai. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell us about some of these. This one's Pinostribus. So it's an American pine. Right. And it has lovely soft grey grey foliage and sort of slightly weeping. And um, it, it almost has a yellow tinge to it mm-hmm. as well. So it's really multicoloured pine. And um, it, it tends to go out more than up. Right. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful plant. The gold-leafed form of um, Pinus mugo, which is the European mountain pine. Okay. And uh, in summer, it's just a green, dwarf green pine. Right. And this time of the year, it takes on really strong gold hues. Wow. Yeah. And it's probably more upright than spreading. Yes, okay. Yeah. yeah. Great colour for the winter. Isn't it? It's is right. It's yeah. wonderful it's a terrific colour. colour. And it's, it's the sort of colour that you could have a field day matching bulbs mm-hmm. with. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Mm. And what, how big would that get? Again, it's been in my garden about 15 years. It'll be a metre, but wouldn't be spread by a metre. Okay. Yeah. Good. And then a dwarf form of the black pine, Pinus thumbergii, yasabusa, anything yasabusa means dwarf. Mm. It's a it's Japanese selection. And what, what's beautiful about the black pines at this time of the year is the new um, candles that are developing mm-hmm. that are white. So you have this beautiful dark green foliage and white candles, and they'll, they'll expand over the winter right. before they open up. That's really showy, isn't it? It's very showy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 I could imagine that actually being um, used, uh, you know, in the cut flower trade. I've never thought about that. Yes, if you could but grow they them would be enough. stunning if you could <laughs> grow them quickly enough. But there's bigger eyes anyway, isn't it? The, oh, there's the, trees. The, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. you're yeah. going to get some uh, faster yeah. growing But ones. I could really see that, yeah. in, you know, in arrangements. Yeah. and yeah. Absolutely. How big do the candles get on the before they sort of lose their oh, sheen? Ten centimetres? Yeah, yeah. So, so quite it's, long. Pretty, it's pretty uh, impressive, it, yeah. That's right, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, and it would be um, something that you would use for the, the Japanese art of Niwaki, which is training pines in the ground. Oh, right. Yeah. Wow. That's that. That's a whole area that, um, I mean, are there many people who are really getting into pines now? I, I, it's I not something that, that I see. Few. Do you? I do, yeah. Mm. Yeah, you'll find conifer people. Yeah, well, and, I can imagine. Are, with, yes, there are conifer people out yes, there. Yes, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they'll come in looking for little pines. Right. Yeah, and they're all grafted, so that you know that, that again that keeps them slow. Yes, yeah. true. But I think they have a fantastic application in a, in a normal suburban garden. Absolutely, and, and there's dwarf forms of radiata which you would be able to grow in really extreme conditions in Australia. I would have thought. Wow. Yeah. 
So they, they, they go right across the genus. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. I'm, I'm just, um, yeah, as you say, there are, there are conifer people out there, but I think the average, the average suburban gardener wouldn't think about, about um, incorporating those into their, their gardens. Yeah, and, and look, during the, 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 um, the, the, the Black Saturday fires, you know, when we had that 45-degree day, which for, for us in a lender is just unheard of. Yes. Yeah, normally sort of 32 or 30, yes. 35 would be our maximum. Yes. The pines stood up fine. Right. Yeah, not a burnt needle on them. Fantastic. The, the, the Pisces, the whole western face of them just burnt off. Yep. Yeah, mm. and I thought I was going to lose them, but they, they, they took about five years to fill back in again, but mm. they did it. Okay. Mm. But the pines didn't bat an eyelid. Right. Mm. Yeah, so I think they're quite tough. Yes. Yeah. Some of the research with the, the um, fires, the Black Saturday fires, um, indicated that there were a lot of um, plantations where there were um, pines and other another um, similar sort of leaf material mm. um, provided a lot of resistance during the fire during the fires and they actually didn't blow up certainly not, not like the eucalypts right and this um, is the radiators mm, or, yeah yeah and yeah. Um, not much grows underneath them either so there's not all that that's fuel true. underneath them yeah. Yeah. that's true yeah and and that's a good point but the, the fuel that's underneath is often the real instigator of of, of getting things really going mm. yeah um, in terms of flames yeah. mm. Mm. okay what else have you got there, Craig? Um, a couple of dwarf forms of Cotoneaster. You know, this is a sort of one of those forgotten plants yes. which you see in old 19th century gardens, generally horizontalis. Yes. But there are some great Cotoneasters. Um, and and for, for the autumn, early winter period, they're terrific. Um, easily maintained. They're not weeds like some of the big ones. And um, pretty, pretty drought resistant. This one's microphylla. Which, um, if, if you get it out, it, my, my plant's a bit sheltered, but if you get it out in an open, sunny area, you'll get good autumn colour on it, mm. as, as well as the fruits. Okay. Yeah. They go brilliant reds, don't they? I don't know, That's the horizontalis right. at home at the moment's got very, very bright red foliage, and it's just lost its berry, so they, they, All right. they have a... Uh, and they've got quite cute little flowers, too. In, That's uh, right. In, in, yeah. in the, when they're in flower as well. Yeah. And they make nice shapes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're good plants and, and as I say, largely forgotten in the industry now. What's the colour of the flower? White. White. Yeah. Yep. yeah. But the, and so the, I know the horizontalis at home has little pink blushes around the edges of the petals, and but they're they're quite small. But they yeah they're sort of uh, uh, the outside of the bud sort of a pinky burgundy colour, and then it okay. opens up white inside. Yeah. They're okay. easily contained plants. You know, I mean, I give, I give this one a chop <coughs> once a year, and then that's about it. Otherwise, it just looks after itself. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, this one um, is is Damari, which is um, really prostrate. Okay. Yeah, and 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 um, covers quite big areas if you let it go. So good for a bank. Good for a bank. Perfect for holding a bank. Yep. Yep. That's that's generally what I sell it to people for. It'll it'll cover one and a half two meters square easily. Great. Yeah, one plant. Yep. Yeah, and and nice red berries, and again a bit of autumn color if you have it out in a nice open spot Mm -hmm. at this time of the year. Excellent. Yeah, it's one of those things, again, that you see in old gardens, but not really in the nurseries anymore. Okay. Yeah. Now you've got some, I can see some red there. What have you got uh, there? Ah, yes. Well, I was talking about this last time I was here. I think this is um, Fuchsia Boliviana. Oh, yes. Yeah, which is just still going. Wow. I've brought it in because it just hasn't stopped flowering. Yes, year. that's and, fantastic, uh, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. The flowers 
do that. Yeah. They hang. Yes. And um, the little spine bills are still in it. I can imagine. Yeah, I imagine they're probably making nests around <laughs> it. Yeah. How big is the shrub of that one? I don't let it get too big, but you'd probably get two and a half metres if okay. you left it alone. Gosh. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's nothing that a good chop can't yeah. fix. Yes. And what's, what sort of, is it, wouldn't like too hot a conditions up there or it's a nice protected mm, spot? It needs, needs to be protected from the westerly sun. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and no frost, obviously. Yeah, yeah. In yes. the future. Yes. Yeah. But it's certainly in the Dandenongs it does very well. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. And, um, yeah, a couple more there you've Another got. Another red. No, this one I was wanting to talk about. All oh, right. Phimosia, Phimosia umbellata which I don't know that it has a common name. It's, it's one of those plants from Central America that you'd probably have trouble growing, Greg. For yeah, no, frost. I don't think it probably wouldn't have much. I, I'm not too bad with frost at, uh, where I am in Romsey, yeah. but, uh, yeah, 200 metres either way is probably might be a different story. It's, yeah. it's that sort of area. <laughs> big, big, big soft leaves. Yes. And these red flowers over winter. Okay. And, again, in a sheltered spot, I, would, I wouldn't put it out in the westerly sun, but it's pretty tough once it's established. And it would get up to three metres, I suppose. All right. Yeah. Is it in the Solanum family or is um, it one of those? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, chaos. Yeah. 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 It opens up. That's what I wanted to do, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those sort of odd things that you see don't see around the nurseries very much. I guess the winter flowering is a bit of a drawback for most nurseries. Mm. But, yeah, yeah, interesting plant. And, again, a good chop. And does that naturally <laughs> have a, a grey foliage? Or is that Her just suit. that you picked it? Sort of a bit hairy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's not really grey. No. Yeah, but the leaves get quite big. Oh, yeah. that really? Yeah, that's right. That, wow. That would be, what, 15, 20, 20 centimetres across? Yes. Yeah. So really useful for filling in a gap. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always attracted to anything with big leaves. And, yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, more berries is um, Dysporum cantonensis. Always looking for things with berries at this time of the year. The Dysporum is Polygonaceae, so it's in the same family as Solomon's seal. Yes, yeah, yeah. and you can tell just from the, the mm, habit of it yeah. there, can't you? Beautiful white green-tipped flowers in the spring. Yes. And, and when it surfaces in the spring, it, it's one of those plants that has that sort of reptilian feel to it. Oh, in, yes. In the markings. Yes. It's coming up. Lovely. Yeah. I like it a lot. Mm. And and what sort of conditions does it need? It's a woodlander. Craig? Yes. Yeah. So, so anywhere shade, where you semi- grow Solomon seal, yes, you'll, you'll exactly. be able to grow it. Um, it's pretty tough. Well, yep. that's my experience. Okay. Yeah. I've got it in quite dry, what I'd call dry shady spots. Yes. <laughs> yes yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Is that the, are they nearly evergreen? They, they sort of don't Pretty really much. have a die down time, do they? They sort of they yeah. just as they get old and yellow off, the new ones are coming up. That's right, but I tend pretty... to chop them yeah, off yeah, yeah. so that so that you can see the new new growth because yeah, yeah. it's so spectacular. It is, yeah, yeah, it's one of those those jobs with the hedging shoes yeah, yeah. when you're walking around in the winter. <laughs> and they get fairly tall too, don't they? For you know this, uh... they'd get close to one point eight meters yeah, if yeah. you got them in a spot they liked. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Don't they? You find over the years they. Each cane gets taller. Gets a bit taller That's to reach, right. reach yeah. out the others on, yeah. the, on the edge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, nice plant. Fantastic. There's, it's, it's, there's so many Polygonaceae that you don't see in yeah, um, yeah. in the, Australia. The di- uh, Dyspropsis is a is it that and the Dysporums and that's right. Um, I can't remember the others. Yeah, <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole. Dysporums tend to be a bit smaller. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah there's a whole raft of them. And finally, is that an abutilon? 
Yes. Yes. Yeah, I just bought this one in because it's the double pink. Right. Really gorgeous nice, really colour. Nice dark one. Yes. Yeah. It's another plant that I, I like because um, the birds love them. Oh, don't they ever? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, but then they provide a good feed for the honey eaters over the winter mm. and until the salvias start in the spring. Mm. Yeah. But I haven't seen one in that colouring. It's okay, gorgeous. It's a nice dark colour, isn't it? It's beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, what would you describe it as? Oh, it's a it's a real maroon, really, yeah. isn't it? Almost, it's, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Is it? Is it a robust shrub as well? Just the, just as a butylon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I find uh, certainly where I am anyway, the, the some of the arbutelons don't really take off great. There's there's a couple of them that grow really well and very robust, and then others sort of. Look, what do you think's holding them back? Oh, I don't know if it's the, maybe it's the summer heat or yeah. or um, you know the exposed sort of winter nights or something like that. There's a red red form I've got at home that grows fantastically. It always it's covered. You know, yeah. it's always got beautiful dark green foliage. It's and then, great for the birds. That one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, there's a yellow one that's slowly come good as it's got bigger. But yeah. there, there's some of the other apricot ones where the foliage just always seems small and close to the branches and it looks okay. twiggy and um, and not quite as lush. Um, and, yeah, so you, you sort of uh, – I'm a little bit scared sometimes to get the new arbutylons up there in case they're the sort of twiggy, not not so strong ones. Yeah, there's only one way to find out. I yeah, guess. that's yeah, true. That's yeah. a trouble. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it can be due with the position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find it in the Dandenongs they need heat. They're mm. not that good in the shade. Okay. You need okay. to put them out where they get the full sun. Yep. Right. Yep. Excellent. Okay. Remind listeners when you're open, Craig, and where you um, are too while we think of it. 138 Alinda Mombolk Road, and I'm open 10 till 5 at closed Tuesdays. Yeah, and so pretty much always there. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, uh, for, for listeners that are aware of um, Cloud Hill, they might be diggers members and they've, they've just discovered Cloud Hill. You're just around the corner. Just around the corner. Five, yes. Five minutes down the road. Exactly. So yeah. make a day of it. That's right. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, and we have lots of the plants that I grow and sell in the gardens around the nursery. So. Well, that's, that's what I think is so fantastic about your nursery because you do, you do propagate everything that you sell from your own garden so, so right. visitors can see exactly how it's going to develop. That's right. It also means that I can provide people with fairly accurate information as exactly. to what they can expect the plant to do exactly. rather than picking up the label and yes. <laughs> <laughs> reading what they've already seen. Yes. Yeah. You're fairly unique, you know, these days. It's... It is these days. That's right. Yes. There's not many of us left. No. Oh, I know. So there was a time when you could go up into the Downey Nongs and you could visit five to ten specialist mm. nurseries. Yes. They've all gone now. I know. Yeah. Still a great, unique place, though, isn't it? Oh, it's and, fantastic. And it's a great oh. place for you. people to go up to, to Cloud Hill and into your nursery. Yeah. And, yeah, it is. I've been there a number of times and yeah. it's a great atmosphere. A world all of its own. It's just it is. amazing. It's very unique for and Australia. And if people yeah. really love plants and love to be in that sort yeah. of atmosphere, it's great. Mm. Tremendous, yeah. And mm. the gardens, you know, the rhododendron gardens are a terrific yes. asset. Yes, yeah. mm. Mm. And uh, they're, they're being looked after better nowadays. Mm. So, yeah. Oh, they've done a lot of work a lot up of there. Work. Yes, yeah. and mm. it's really yeah. paying off. That's right. I, yeah. had a, I have yeah. a German rose breeding friend from Cordy's. I took him to the rhododendron garden and he was actually amazed at the varieties that were there. That's right. And his neighbour in Germany is a breeder of rhododendrons and um, he's done a bit of dabbling himself, this yeah. rose breeder, mm. and um, he was amazed at the display and, and um, what was what was available there. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You know, the Rhododendron Society's had a sort of resurgence 
So mm-hmm. there's lots of propagating and replanting being done now, mm-hmm. particularly with the species that are threatened. Yes. Yeah, and, and interestingly, they were saying a lot of the hybrids are sort of becoming a bit endangered now as mm. well. So really? They're, yeah, they're starting to propagate them as well. You'd think okay. it would only be species. Yes. But, yeah. 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 Mm. Okay. So a lot of work being done there. Yes, fantastic. Yeah. Okay, Greg. Let's have a chat about some of your stuff. All right. Um, because some, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at some really, really spectacular flowers. Yeah, they've, they've opened up to uh, when I, it was obviously pretty cold this morning. Yeah. And uh, uh, most of what I've bought in today, uh, basically oxalis and crocus. Right. And they both tend to close up of a night time. Yes. Uh, certainly the, the younger flowers do. Some of the older flowers all just sort of stay open because they, they haven't got it in them anymore. But, uh, um, yeah, just coming into the studios this morning. Well, in, they're in sitting the, right directly underneath yeah. the, the and, and fluoro. And there's uh, the, the little oxalis, uh, the, the pink one here, oxalis glabra, was completely closed when I mm. popped it up on the bench there. Yes, it uh, was, and it's opened up uh, very quickly. Half an quickly. hour or so ago, yep. and, and, and now it's, it's, it's fully open. Um, so it's, I... I, I We've already talked about the uh, oxalis, so I may as well start with those. Okay. Um, so the big one up here is oxalis peduncularis, which I got off David Musker um, at the Gindavik Rare Plant Fair a few months back. Um, and that's actually, I don't know a lot about it. I think it's more of a subtropical sort of oxalis, and it, it basically grows into a shrub. Okay. So it's not, uh, it's not bulbous and it no, doesn't sucker right. and it, it certainly doesn't seed everywhere. Um, it's evergreen, is it? It's. I, I think in the right conditions it would be. I know if it. Uh, uh, I did have one a few years ago that I didn't know much. Uh, I knew less about then about them, and uh, and it didn't make it. And that's that's certainly not uh, evergreen. <laughs> um, uh, but they do get quite big. It's a, it seems you know they can get uh, one and two foot sort of stems on them, and uh, eventually and grow into. Uh, a, a small shrubby sort of a bushy thing. Right. Um, the flowers are in tight little clusters on on um, uh, pedestals that sort of sit up uh, quite a few inches above the actual plant itself and the bright yellow uh, little flowers with the sort of burgundy calyxes, um, they're, quite, they're really pretty, I think, and, uh, and quite detailed too. As and, and I find with a lot of species plants... The, a lot of the beauties in the in the detail of things, um, you know, they're pretty from afar. But w- when you actually get in close and look, there's a lot of detail in a lot of mm. in a lot of the wild species plants, yes. which so I, I really like. The sort of like. thing that people would like to paint. Yes, yeah, yeah, mm. yep. yes. Yeah. Great yeah. specimens for painting. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at the the flowers in a little bit more detail, they go right down to these little nodules on the tops of uh, of the flower clusters and and. You know lines on the calyxes, and you can see on the the little oxalis glabra here the um, so the, the 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 buds themselves actually make quite nice patterns up the, the yellow do. the yellow tube tube of the flower yeah. and and uh, <coughs> it's the detail of that that really intrigues me about mm. certainly about the species plants because it, it, it's sort of uh, you know it's it's very subtle on them and and um, yeah so so don't know a lot about the peduncularis but it is an it, it's a really interesting plant I think. Uh, um, but I'll see how I go, and hopefully I won't kill this one. <laughs> um, and so the, the the little pink one here is Oxalis glabra, which is uh, very good at multiplying but doesn't spread at all. Okay. Um, so if you plant one bulb, 10 years later you'll end up with a clump about a foot across, I guess. Yes. Um, 
and they're hot pink flowers with a yellow centre. Mm. Uh, again, they close up every night. So if you go out first thing in the morning, you've got all these little bright pink sticks with a yellow bottom. Yes. And then once the sun hits them in about, uh, if it's warm sun, even you know, 10, 15 minutes, they'll open up fully as like, like what's happened in here. Um, and you go to this, these beautiful uh, fully open bright pink flowers with the yellow centre. And the foliage on this is very fine. So when they sort of clump up, they're, they're almost got a, uh, I don't know, like a, a conifer sort of look to the foliage sometimes in the, in the little clumps. Um, so once the flowers actually finish, they're still quite attractive uh, little plants to have in the garden just from the foliage. Um, so, and the, the other thing, certainly with the bulb ones, uh, the bulbs are quite interesting too. Um, there's another one here I've got, uh, Oxalis herda. Grab that there. Um, so I've got a pink and a, a salmon form of Oxalis herda. Oh, right. And they've opened up. Now, when I was re- unpotting these and, and repotting them earlier this year, I discovered that a, a lot of oxalises, their leaf patterns grow interesting above the ground where they'll grow in um, uh, fractal spirals and things like that. The oxalis palmifrons is a good example where you've got these small little leaves in the centre and they slowly spiral out and get bigger as they go out. Yes, right. And I found with oxalis herder the bulbs do that. So I've tapped out the pots and the bulbs actually grow down into the pots like a... Um, a a, a spiral. A, a double helix. Okay, yeah, yeah. yes. And, wow. and so the root grows down in a spiral and then the bulbs form off that root okay. as it goes down into the spiral, like a double helix sort of oh, twisting down into the soil. And, you, you know, you don't see that obviously because no, it's in course. the dirt. But uh, yeah. um, I, I thought it was quite interesting to, to discover that the, the, the spiral doesn't happen just on the top. And, yes, and right. also another good feature of the oxalis is when they shut up of a night time, they twist closed. So... Uh, there's a, a couple of uh, a couple of the smaller ones, Oxalis versicolor, for instance, which has a beautiful. It's a white flower, and on the outside of each petal's a nice, almost red marking. Yes. So as it uh, closes up over night time or when it gets cold, it'll spiral up and looks like a little barber's pole. You get the white and pink, uh, white and red stripes up the outside of it when it sort of twists itself closed. Um, so that's. Uh, Another little feature of, of the oxalis I really like when they yes. when they shut up at night. Herter wow. would be a good one for eating. When the bulbs are quite big on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think most of the oxalis are edible unless you're someone who doesn't like eating oxalic acid because obviously they're full of those being yes. oxalis. Yes. Um, but I think in small doses, is okay. And, and another good one for eating, uh, especially in salads in summers, the one of the South American ones, uh, oxalis triangularis. Right. Which has got beautiful dark burgundy leaves, quite big, and looks really good in a salad. And it's got that sort of tangy lemon sort of flavour to it as well. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, you're right. With the, the some of the oxalis herder bulbs, when I dug them up this year, were you know the size of ping pong balls. Yeah, and right. and I've I've not seen oxalis bulbs that big before. I thought they were you know generally they they're much smaller than that. Uh, right. Uh, even some of the more vigorous ones. Uh, uh, and the other the other good thing about uh, oxalis herders uh, for pots and hanging baskets and rock walls because mm. they, they um, the mo form I've got here can actually get quite long uh, stems on it and again the foliage is quite fine um, it's a little bit uh, not really conifery looking but it's certainly that sort of little fluffy rock garden sort yes. of look to it yes um, but if you plant them on top of a rock wall they can actually hang down the best part of you know half 
half a, f- a foot or so down down over the edge, or if you've got them in a in a pot or something, they can cascade over the, cascade over the sides of the pots. They flower for a long time, and as I say, even when they finish flowering, they, they've uh, the foliage is is uh, very attractive too. And uh, a lot of the oxalis don't look like oxalis either, so that you haven't got those clover, uh, yes. the shamrock sort of exactly, leaves. Exactly. Yes. Um, they're they're fine little leaves, but if you do pull them apart, you can actually see that they're still oxalis. You know, they've, they've still got the, the parts. It's just that they're not quite as obvious. Yeah, I've Fantastic. had this one, Herta, well, I've had Herta rosea in my rock garden. Well, it predates me and I've been there for 17 years. Right. And it's never moved. Yep. Always in the same spot. Yep. yep. It's, it's one of those ones that it'll, it'll produce a lot of bulbs, but unless you actually dig it up and move it. So mm. if, if you've got a clump and you ran a rotary hoe through it, it'd come up everywhere yes mm. but you know if you plant it and leave it leave it alone or put it in a pot it's it's never going to no. cause a problem and move around itself no before you uh go on to the next yep, yep. one greg we've got a couple of callers we might go to those first up we have uh sue who's in ringwood good morning sue hello i have two questions but firstly i turned on i turned on the radio very late and i only heard the man and I don't know whom your guest is, so I do apologise. But he spoke, I heard the word Solomon Seal. Right. Yeah. That's Craig. Yes. Craig. Okay. I have two questions. I'm very interested in Solomon Seal. I put some Solomon Seal in a few months ago, and now it looks like it's either died or it's died down. It's, it's died down now, yeah. Okay. Yep. Solomon Seal, I, I import the tincture from... From 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 America mm. because it's really good for anybody with a connective tissue problem. And I wondered if you knew of anybody here who is a herbalist or some such who actually grows it or harvests it. I don't know anyone yeah. growing it on a commercial scale. I certainly know that pe- people come into the nursery looking for it for that reason. Right. But I beyond that, I couldn't help you. Okay, you have a very eclectic group of listeners. Somebody might know and ring in and leave some information and that would be really, really helpful because although I buy it in from the United States, it's in a glass bottle, it weighs a tonne and it costs an arm and a leg. Yes, I'm very very interested in you. I have been using it for a month and I can't wait for my Solomon seal to come back up again. It's a very small plant. How fast does it multiply? Uh, it's, it's not slow. It's, it's not, not slow. slow. No. Okay. Certainly I, the, the, the straight polygonatum or the straight Solomon seal spreads yeah, quite yeah, quickly, does, yeah. particularly it, if you're prepared to put a bit of water on it, it over sort of, the summer. It sort of spreads a little bit like a bearded iris, I guess, doesn't it? Yeah, where, that's where right. It'll sort of divide at the tips and, yeah. and before long, each time it divides, it'll divide again and then yeah. before it's sort right, of a bit exponential. Because, so. because this plant only had a couple of branches and it doesn't seem to have expanded much it's in the sh- it's i found the only patch of shade for it in a shade free garden yeah so yeah okay you might um you might have more luck growing it in a big tub where you can really look after it and water it and feed it that's a good idea i might yeah. have a go at that okay thank yeah. you the second question is and um, I'm looking for what has been told to me is the Australian lavender, and it's called Sydney. It's either spelled S-Y-D-N-E-Y or S-I-D-O-N-I-E. I did have it 
um, and then I moved. It's got an incredibly lacy, lacy leaf, not at all like the other lavenders. It's very frost tender. It has a, a, very few flowers in comparison to the usual lavender, and it's an extremely clear, dark purple. Do you know where I could find this, or do you know of somebody who has it where I could get some cuttings, please? Would so. You guess that you have that it works with Virginia. She might uh, be someone worth asking. She propagates a lot of. Uh, she certainly plants. propagates a lot of um, Australian natives, yeah. or um, or even ask Karanga Native Nursery. I've, I've asked them, and they they don't know what I'm talking about. Is, is, it, is it a is it a native plant, or is it an Australian bred lavender? I think I it, believe it's an Australian bred lavender. Yeah, so it's not actually. Oh, a, okay. It's too fussy because it's so frost tender and people aren't prepared to be bothered with it when there's so many other sorts of lavender. But this has got a really lacy, lacy leaf and it has a really beautiful flower. And that's the other thing. It doesn't have a huge amount of flowering and people look for a huge flower show. This doesn't. It has very tall flower spikes Mm. and there's only a few there's not a lot for each plant. Certainly, I couldn't, couldn't help you with <laughs> no, that one. <laughs> I can only... I, I don't know if it's worth talking to one of the, um, you know, the lavender farms, mm. um, whether they might at least know of it, even if they don't carry it themselves. Right. So, Craig, where can I find you? 138 Alinda Mombolk Road in Alinda. What's the name of your place, please? Uh, Gentiana, G-E-N-T. Oh, I know that. I know that. Yes, I've been past it many times. Yeah. I think I'll go past and stop. (laughs) (laughs) Good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much indeed for your help. Okay, Okay. good on you. Bye. Bye. Okay, thank you. That number, if you'd like to uh, call in this morning, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 94198377 or 9419. Zero one double five. Okay, we're going uh, next. Let me see to John, who's in South Yarra. Good morning, John. I'm actually Don with a oh, D. Oh, Don. Sorry, Don. That's okay. I used to be a regular caller from Sorrento years ago. Oh, right. I even I was generally known as Don from Sorrento. Okay. But that was a long time ago. Okay, now, so now I, you're Don from South Yarra. That's right. And I've been here. I've owned this place for about two years, and uh, I've got. Um, uh, gar- small gardens front and back. In the back, I've got a, a bougainvillea, which when I planted it had beautiful red flower bracts. Uh, it's vigorous. Uh, in full sun, all the flower bracts have fallen off. It's just all leaves now and no flowers at all. But it flowered over the summer, did it, Don? <clears throat> For a short time over the summer and then it um, <clears throat> it stopped flowering altogether. Right. Because I know bougainvilliers need heat. They need heat. That's right. Yeah, um, well, and it wasn't wasn't exactly a hot summer this year, so no, that, that no. may account for it. Well, they're growing everywhere around me. They're growing everywhere, very vigorously, but not here. Yes, I know my neighbour's one is still out in flower. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, no, no easy solution there. Um, no, I'm just wondering what position you've got it in. Well, uh, it faces uh, north. Uh, and it gets full sun most of the day. Right. Yes. And how long have you had it? Uh, 
over a year, about 18 months. Oh, it's not long. <clears throat> no, no. Yeah. And also I have, um, in the same place, I've got a passion fruit, very vigorous, and another one in the front, even more vigorous. They have hundreds of flowers, but I've had a total of about three passion fruit uh, since I planted them two years ago. <clears throat> have you fed them? Uh, I, I don't feed them with nitrogen. I was told not to. I just feed them with seaweed. I think they need more than that. Yeah, I would have thought. They're, think... they're, they're, they're really hungry feeders. That's they right. need a lot. So, yeah. um, you know, a lot of animal manures. Yeah, right. that's, really that's... give them stacks of animal manure. Yeah, okay. Pour on a bag of cow manure. Yes, I would too. That's yeah. why you're not getting your fruit. Yeah. Well, all right. But I do get hundreds of flowers, but yeah. they just don't yep. go to fruit. And with your bougainvillea, I think I'd, I'd probably give it a little bit longer. Yeah. Yes. It's only a young plant. Yes, it, it is only young. I'll have to. Yep. Yeah. All right, thank you. Okay, then. Bye. Bye. All right, let me see. Uh, that number, if you'd like to join us again, 94190155. That's 94190155. Okay, next up we have um, Jill from East Malvern. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Pam. You I, might be able to answer our question, can you? Yes, I can. Good on you. Um, at the moment, I've got Salvia involucrata betheli in fantastic height because I let it grow up. It's about six feet or some seven feet. Fabulous pink buds, fat big buds that sort of span out into sort of splayed, um, beautiful big flowers. Uh, the possums like the leaves in the summer. And um, I don't know where they've gone now. They're hibernating somewhere. But the birds just absolutely love the pink flowers. And with that, I have the white Chinese lantern. I don't know its botanic name. A butylon what? I don't know. Alba. They might know. And um, the other thing is that lady wants the Doni Lavender. I think I've seen it at a series. In oh, West right. Week, 8 Lee Street. They have a really nice uh, Australian plant section at, at Lee Street, um, West Brunswick. Right. I think she should ring them first. C-E-R-E-S. Yes. Series. Yeah. Excellent. And can I ask a question on my own behalf? Of course. Um, I've bought Euphorbia, um, um, a little Euphorbia that's got the brown leaves. And um, I bought that at Jindavik, actually, a couple of plants for that. And I don't know what its habit is. Um, I've got, I potted them up from the tiny pots to uh, six-inch pots, you know, when I bought them. But I'm not sure whether they need easterly or northerly or what sort of habit they like. Do you, do you haven't got a name on it? Uh, yes, I do, actually. Um, um, oh, it's in my brain. Um, Euphorbia dulcis chameleon. Okay. It's yeah, a little brown-leaved one. Needs a bit of moisture. Yeah. And they, well, most of them well, like a bit of sun anyway, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Really... Well, well, some of them are woodlanders. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But it, it self-seeds everywhere, dulcis chameleon. Will it? Yep. Oh, well, I don't mind because I'm in the sand belt and, and this is the first year in 40 years that the mint has taken over in a garden bed. Yeah. <laughs> And I don't care. Yeah. Oh, that's good. It's it's quite a robust little plant. Right. Yeah. I was thinking of having it with um, easterly with 
um, Loropetalum, um, which I, I was given for Mother's Day, which has burgundy leaves and bright pink flowers, mm. and also adding, um, um, yes, uh, was a, there's a very a little pelag- a little geranium there, the little one that has the tiny uh, rose-like petals, and I thought, oh well, it'll be a sea of burgundy and pink. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. no, um, the, the euphorbia, you just need to give it enough sun to get the colour on the leaf. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure it would, would cope with afternoon shade, but you'd not want to give it enough morning sun to get the leaves to colour up. Oh, I might need to put it in a... Would, should I put them in pots, or are they better in the ground, I think? Try one of each. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go, I've got one of each, haven't I? Yeah. Thank you. Okay, thanks very much. Okay, that's Body. fine. Bye, Bye Jill. Because euphorbia is such a big genus. Oh, and it is. People, people just assume that I'm based on wolf and I. Yes. That they're going to be robust. Yes. But quite a lot of them require quite a lot of moisture. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, if she's in a sand belt, maybe that's going to be a problem. Unless she can incorporate some, some more, more. Des- deserty sort of ones, maybe. Then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wolf, wolf and I, yeah. 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 Uh, Pam, I will mention, the lady mentioned before about Ceres in East Brunswick. Uh, they have a, a tremendous range of um, vegetable seedlings there. One of the best I've seen in any nurseries, you know, just generally around Melbourne. And, of course, if people want to go and spend a, a, a good day there, that's a ed- great educational place. Yep. And also they've got a, a really good cafe there. Okay. Um, where you can get some really interesting meals. And, of course, there's a lot of other different types of plants hmm. um, that have been mentioned on the show this morning. And um, so, you know, I just mentioned that um, it's a great place to go, even to take children. Tremendous yep. place. That series, C E R E S, in East Brunswick. I think it's called Series Environmental Park right, okay. these days. But yes, yeah. they've got a wonderful nursery there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. they'd have heritage vegetables too, would they? Ah, uh, yes, I think they do. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yep. They grow all their own, most of them. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, Sue in Ringwood. Um, I've had a message from the outside line that. Um, Olwyn, one of our listeners, has got uh, lots of the particular lavender you're after. If you like to uh, call back, um, we can give you her number off air and you might be able to, uh, to come to some arrangement with her. So, uh, Sue in Ringwood, if you ring back on 94190155 and have a chat to Jenny um, on the outside line there, she uh, can put you in touch with Olwyn. So, there you go. All right. Um, Greg, while we're waiting for the next call to come through, let's have a chat about this one. All right. Well, th- this is probably one of my favourite oxalis. Yes. Um, it's uh, Oxalis masoniana. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, and it's a bright orange one. So the, the foliage, uh, again, is more of a conifery, dwarf conifery sort it of is. Uh, looking thing. Yeah. Um, the stems are sort of a, a quite a strong red, a reddish sort of uh, tinge to them. Uh, makes a fantastic little rock garden uh, plant, and the the flowers are bright orange, and in full sun they, they've almost got this burnt orange sort of quality to them. And mm. again, it's got the yellow centre, mm. um, and they this one flowers for a very long time. And again, once once the flowers are finished, you've got this beautiful little uh, uh, rock garden plant that that's uh, uh, quite useful, you know, and and as a pot plant too. Um, and this is one of the South African ones, and a lot of the South African ones 
uh, I think most of the South African ones are actually uh, uh, summer dormant, so they don't need any water in summer. Um, and they can handle full sun and pretty much anything we can throw at them Perfect. In, in Victoria. Yes, uh, that's in, ideal. Uh, yeah. So that they, they are a really good plant. And that's, you know, why the ones that are a problem are a problem because they're really well suited. But uh, the ones that aren't a, aren't a problem are also quite tough to mm. our, our conditions as well. So, um, and that's, that's certainly another one that won't spread at all, forms beautiful little clumps. It multiplies okay, but it's not going to move around unless you dig it up and move it yourself. Yes, okay. Um, and makes a great pot plant. Oh, I was going to say, perfect yeah, in a, a pot a lovely, plant. A lovely yeah. pot. You know, yeah. I mean, in summer when you're worried about all your, your pots drying out, well, yeah. that's going yeah, to be this ideal. This hiding underneath yeah. the rain. Yes. I've, I've had it in a pot for 30 years, never watered it. Yes. Just, yeah. just whatever the weather gives it. Yep. Mm. Yep. Fantastic. And, and when it's in flower, you can't see the foliage. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, um, we might go to a, a next caller. We've got, uh, let me see, Helen, who's out in Croydon. Good morning, Helen. Good morning. Thank you for your program. I really enjoy it. Oh, good. Um, I'm looking, I know Cloudhill's got a huge one, but they don't sell it. It's a calmia. Um, You know, the calico bush. Right. I was wondering where I could get one. Um, Any ideas, You don't see them very often. Your no, minor. you don't. Your minor. Your minor? Yeah, in Mombolk. Oh, what? Where about? Oh. Your minor rare plants. Your minor rare plants. Your minor collector's nursery. Yeah. How do you spell that? Uh, Y-A-M-I-N-A. Right. It's yeah. in Mombok. Rare yeah. plants. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I would say that would be the, your only hope. Yes. Yeah. Well, Matt, oh, only with, hope. I don't know, I, okay. Stephen used to have a couple of... Um, uh, different calmias up at Dixania, but I'm not sure if he grows them anymore. <coughs> no, I'm, I'm not sure either, and, yeah. and unfortunately he's away at the moment. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. They're tricky things to propagate, and they're incredibly slow, so yeah, yeah. that's, there, that's there, why they're yeah. not around. There was one in a, the garden I grew up in. Uh, it was about 140 years old. This is up in Mount Macedon, and um, it was uh, 15 to 18 feet tall. Mm. And it was 100, 100, over, well over 100 years old. So. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. There's it's a garden a I work in, Alinda, with some old ones. They get the most beautiful bark. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they've got a big one in Cloud Hill there. It's huge. But um, what kind of, um, how were you planted? Is it a shade plant? Yes. Or, yeah. I would it, say an it, easterly position. So similar to a rodeo. Yeah. Or like mm-hmm. a, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for that. Okay. Appreciate that. Bye. Bye. Right, Greg, let's get back to some of your plants. This one looks scary. (laughs) Scary? Yeah, this this is one of the ones. So usually I'll say to people, uh, when I say oxalis, you'll get that look of uh, repulsion. shock, horror. Shock and horror, yeah. Um, And as I say, like Craig said before, there's 800-odd species and probably more. Um, Some of those are native too. So there's there's native oxalis growing in Mount Kosciuszko and... Even one up around Mount Macedon that grows native up there that looks very much like the weedy one. Yes, right. <clears throat> um, so th- there's there's you know three to five ones that you wouldn't grow because they are a bit weedy. Fair enough. There's another five or so, maybe ten, that if you plant them in the right spot and you know what they are, or, or you can c- contain them properly, they're very useful plants. But they will spread. You know they'll, they'll yes. form. And then the other. What I usually say to people, the other 790 are pretty good. Right. <laughs> you know, you, you can grow for years in a pot and... and uh, Have and, no problems and, and, at all. Well, the only problem is you don't have enough of them. You'd like more of them. So. Yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, the, the last oxalis that I've bought today, uh, oxalis purpurea alba, 
um, is one of the thuggish ones. Okay. So it will spread, but it's, I think often plants that do that are are a bit sort of uh, mistreated because of that, where in actual fact, if you've got the right spot for them, that sort of plant can be quite useful. So if you've got an area um, that you would want a nice quickly uh, spreading ground cover on, Mm -hmm. uh, it's got beautiful foliage, like the, the clover shamrock sort of foliage, and it has quite large, you know, 50 cent, uh, size and bigger. Um, uh, this one's got white flowers. I've got another one called Purpurea nigrescens, which has got very dark burgundy leaves and hot pink flowers, which Ooh. I absolutely love. Spectacular. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, and this is this would be one that people might recognise if you go to old cemeteries and things. You often see Oxalis purpurea growing around in the old cemeteries, okay. the ones that haven't been napalmed and look like, yes. uh, look horrible these days. So the ones that are still let sort of run with their wildflowers. Um, Oxalis purpurea is one of the ones that runs around in, in the cemetery. So, as I say, if if you don't want Oxalis purpurea in your garden, it is a real pain. Yep. It's, it is, it's hard to get out. Yep. But um, there's lots of things I think that we plant that do the same sort of thing as this that haven't got the same sort of stigma attached to it because they haven't got the name Oxalis. <laughs> exactly. Well, what um, I find with these winter ones is that they're fantastic under roses. Mm-hmm. Where you've pruned them at this time of the year, and they're really just sticks. Yeah. Yes, yep. and you can get this carpet of oxalis going underneath, which are only around in the winter. Yeah. As soon as the weather warms up, they go they down, go, and they don't yes. take anything yeah. out of the soil, Nothing especially right. in summer when the roses yeah. are active or whatever. It and is they're not going to react to frost. No, no, they, they're pretty tough with that sort yeah. of thing. And again, you know, it's uh, they they spread themselves round. But uh, if you want to cover big areas, you can do it really quickly. And if you don't, you just sort of let it spread from where it is. And you might end up, you know, in three or four years with something about a, a clump about a metre across, a right. metre and a half across. So it's not something that you plant one year and uh, – or you plant one day and, and two weeks later, you know, it's, it's, gone it's rampant. growing through your yeah. house and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's not – they're not <clears throat> quite that bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but it certainly whenever I sell this one, it comes with a warning of like, you know, make sure you plant it where you want it because – They've got quite small bulbs and they're hard to get out, if, mm. especially yes. if you don't want to use yeah. sprays yes. and stuff, which yeah. which I certainly don't. You know, it's, it is hard to get out. And again, it's um, it's edible because it's oxalis, so there's uh, there's you can eat most of the parts of the plant, I believe, in small quantities. Okay. So again, I guess if people wanted to have it, because the the, the flower is a really good size, isn't yeah, it? It is. A, yeah. It's a very big flower. It's and quite a, showy. And and again, the 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 flowers when they're closed up of a night look really nice. They're these little white candles that stick up above the foliage. Mm. And, these, and, and Oxalis purpurea is quite a flat grower, so it'll stick flat to the ground mm. and, and creep along the ground. Yep. And then the flowers sort of sit just above them. And they've probably got one of the biggest Oxalis flowers. Mm. They've got these, uh, as I say, they're about the size of a 50 cent coin. Um, mm. And some are probably a little bit larger. And they come in a big a range of colours from uh, mauves and pinks. And as I say, the the nigrescens is my favourite because it's got these beautiful deep burgundy velvety leaves and the flower is a really hot salmon pink mm. um, and it's, it's a great colour combination there. But, I mean, like like all of these oxalis, if, if you're worried about it, just keep it in a pot. Keep it in a pot, yeah. And yeah. then you can really enjoy it and you yeah. don't have to worry about it at all. Yeah. Well, there's so many of them, don't buy a thug. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. True, yeah. just you enjoy could, the rest of the could, family. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it in a pot in the ground. Well, you could do that too. Yeah. Although these, some of them, uh, like this one, will 
like a strawberry or throw something up over so if the, right, if the right. lips yeah, are over the ground yeah. it'll go so over the top I okay. it'll be away yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah probably, and, and some of them you know can be a little bit stoloniferous too like the oxalis herder can get quite deep down like yeah. I was saying with the, the bulbs growing around the root systems mm. um, in, in sort of friable soil they can sort of get down mm-hmm. a, a good couple of inches okay. you know, a good four, five, six inches underneath the ground with bulbs so if you if you put them in a pot, they might sort of get out the bottom yes. as, as well. But yes. they're not they, – that uh, herder doesn't run, so it's not going to mm. invade the garden. But, uh, yeah, so so if you if you like the thugs, keep it in a pot. Yep. And, um, and like Craig said, there's 790 others that don't run and aren't thugs that will stay put wherever you, wherever you pot them. And no water in summer. Uh, they take uh, pretty much anything in, in summer – and uh, as long as they get a bit of sun and, and a, uh, ample moisture in winter, which we usually conserve up without any dramas, yes, um, you know they're, they're great little plants and they flower and, and nice foliage and um, and, and come tough. in a huge range of colours too. Yeah, and shapes and varieties. Yes. and as is like the leaf uh, of the Oxalis purpurea is this big clover leaf, mm. and then you go down to the little Oxalis glabra or, or the Masoniana, and they've got very fine. Uh, conifery sort of foliage and everything in between and ones that look like butterflies, you know, burgundy butterflies and greens with uh, red centres and some of the South American uh, oxalis. Um, And there's a beautiful, uh, I think I talked about last time, was uh, oxalis magellanica, which is the one, it it grows native in Australia, it also grows in New Zealand and South America. And it's it's a good substitute for baby's tears in a sort mm. of a, a wet, shady spot. Okay. Except the bonus is that it sticks flat to the ground. Yes. And it has beautiful little white flowers on it, uh, which baby's tears don't have. They're just exactly. green, a green exactly. mass. So this, yes. you get the, the nice green mass, but you also get these beautiful little, uh, uh, in, in the case of the one I've got uh, called Nelson, it's got... Uh, little double white. They almost look like carnation flowers. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, it's a great, great, great plants. Yep, excellent. Okay, let's go next to, let me see, we have uh, Neville who's out in Somerville. Good morning, Neville. Neville, are you there? Hello. We might put Neville. No, we might put Neville back on hold and see if we can get him back. Uh, we'll go to Maureen who's in Sunshine. Good morning, Maureen. Yes, good morning. I'd like to speak to the gentleman about a rhododendron I saw in last October up at the rhododendron garden. Yes, go ahead. Um, What it is, it's not in the rhododendron garden itself. There's an old abandoned nursery on that road as you turn into the rhododendron garden. Mm. And there's a great big tree. Um, Might be a little bit further down on the outside of that nursery. It's on the road. I know the one you mean. Okay, you know the one. Do you know the name of it? No, I don't. It's a species. I'm sorry, I don't know the name of it. Okay. So it's not a hybrid. It's it's one of the high altitude ones. And the reason I know that is because the the leaves just drop straight down in winter. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right, then. Thank you very much. (laughs) Sorry, I can't help you. That's all right. Thank you. Bye. Right, we'll see if we can uh, get Neville this time. You there, Neville? Yes. Oh, yes. good. I'm. I'm sorry you've kept me waiting because there's three questions I've got now. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> um, the barber pole oxalis that, uh, is that available? Uh, yes. Um, uh, it's funny with, with the, the. There's a couple of the smaller oxaluses that are very similar. So uh, first, uh, Stephen Ryan. Uh, usually has oxalis. That's uh, oxalis versicolor. 
Yeah. Um, now, uh, I, I've got three species of Oxalis where the foliage looks almost identical. So there's Oxalis versicolor, there's Oxalis glabra, which I've got in here, and there's also one called Oxalis versalata, which is a white flower, and it looks like someone's got a mouthful of uh, raspberry-coloured paint and sort of uh, blew a raspberry at the flower. So it's got these so really fine freckled, freckled uh, yes. uh, raspberry-coloured freckles on it, and that's really pretty. Um, right. They The bulbs look identical. The foliage looks very similar, almost identical, and it's only when they come into flower you realise that you've mixed up the names. Or So I've potted up a heap of Oxalis versicolor this year that I believe to be versicolor, but I won't be 100% sure until they start popping a few flowers up and, and then I'm convinced that I've got the right one again because uh, I've had a, a trouble one other year where I <laughs> potted up the wrong one and you can't you literally can't tell until they right. until the flowers open up but okay. it's always no. a nursery man. <laughs> yeah 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 like, <laughs> um, well that's that's handy to know now the uh, the, the, the original reason I rang up was persicaria sweet wheat I think is its common name do you know where I could get some of that what what does it do what do you mean what's it do what does it look like um, it's got a rather large leaves, something similar in shape to tobacco leaf, uh, and it hangs in uh, oh, little finger size, uh, pretty pink flowers. I... Uh, each flower, though, has a seed. It's it just hangs down in a uh, oh gosh, how can I say it? Like a uh, <clears throat> mulberry, if a bit longer. And uh, it really looks lovely. The birds absolutely love it. That's why I can't. I've run out of it. The birds have eaten every darn seed. Uh, but it's it's to me it's very pretty. It's um, uh, a very open annual shrub bush. It's, is it a maybe it's an amaranthus? Is it, no, is it perso- no, the persicaria is usually a sort of water loving. Um, Sort of perennials that uh, sucker and 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 um, they they do, they can seed a little bit, but um, they're, they're usually water loving plants. There's uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think of one that has. Well, you, you certainly can get some persicarias available. I've got some as well that I'll be propagating this year. Um, Dennis Norgate uh, grows a couple of really nice persicarias. Uh, one one of which has a, a hot pink flower and a, and a green leaf, and another one that has a uh, and a beautiful burgundy uh, variegated leaf and a white flower. Right. Well, the um, one, but they're all yeah, they're all perennials. Those ones. They're, they're certainly yeah, perennials. the one I have seen or the one I had grows about six foot tall. Yep. Um, very similar to the one that's. Uh, it must be native because I've seen it around in all swamps. Well, not all of them, but a lot of swamps. Um, and yes, it loves water, but. Okay. Uh, the, the sweet wheat um, one is uh, is really really attractive. It just it just sort of has, as I said, grows about six feet tall, um, and then it when the branches sort of uh, go out, uh, it just has on the end of each branch these nodules of of hot pink flowers. Yeah, no, I don't, I, that one doesn't ring a bell. But um, as I say, there's certainly some of the persicarias are available. Uh, maybe even diggers might have 
uh, a couple of the Persa carriers because a, a Vietnamese mint um, is uh, is a Persa carrier. Good God. Um, yeah. I think I'm, I'm yeah, right. It am I? Uh, yes, it is. Absolutely. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, and the, and the also a closely related species is the polygonums, uh, not the Solomon seal polygonatum, but the the polygonum. The polygonum. Yeah. There's some nice little uh, ground cover ones of two which are very close. Now, the polygonum species. is the one that has little um, uh, globular flowers. It can do. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've got goes, one. Goes a lovely. Um, Oh, russet or uh, colour in the winter? They can, That's yeah, right, yeah. yeah. There's, there's some really, really nice ones. Generally on autumn flowering. Yeah, yep. And, yep, yep uh, that's right. The one I've got comes out white on these little spikes about, uh, I don't know, eight or ten inches tall. And, and uh, as they get older, they go sort of hot pink. So you get this white and hot pink sort of flush through the, and quite prolific flowers too. That's um, right, and a spreading yeah. ground cover, and then, as uh, Craig said, they, they go sort of uh, hot. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Mm. I didn't know uh, Vietnamese mint was part of the family tree, but uh, I have got the uh, polygonum, or gunum, whichever it is. Now, the third question, <laughs> thank you, is where is the national, I think it's called rhododendron garden, it's up in the in the uh, mountains somewhere, uh, Dandenongs. Yeah, it's on the Alinda Mombolk Road, and it's just past the township of Alinda on the left. Right now, yeah. d- d- does that cost to get into? Do you know? No, it's free. It's free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful and open seven days a week. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for your show. Okay. okay. Good on you. Right. Bye. Bye. All right, uh, we are running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. So uh, if you'd like to jump on the phone and give us a call, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Greg, we've, we've covered all the yeah, oxalis. Yeah, we finished the oxalis. Okay. Yeah. I, ju- yeah. I just thought too, if, if, um, uh, if anyone's on Facebook or Instagram, my, my uh, personal Facebook, so Greg Balderson on, on Facebook. Um, I've got lots of albums with uh, nice pictures of all the Oxalis and Crocus and when I go uh, mushroom hunting up around Mount Mass and all the interesting fungus that I find up there. Okay. Uh, which, so there's lots of – if you want to have – if you're on Facebook and you want to have a look at some of these – Oxalis and crocus and rare bulbs and things. So I've yeah. got good photo albums on my, on my Facebook. So account. how do they actually get onto your so, site? So, so if you're on if you're on Facebook, yes. uh, If you just search for uh, Greg Boulderston. So spell your surname uh, for people B- who don't B-O-L-D-I-S-T-O-N. know. B O L D I S T O N. Boulderston. Boulderston. Yeah. Yes. And uh, yeah, if, and then if you look, there's uh, uh, on part of my page there's albums, and if you go into the albums, there's as I say, there's ones there's one for crocus. Uh, one for oxalis, one for aroids, um, uh, one for fungi, and there's one for my dogs. And you know, <laughs> but there's no selfies and no food shots. Okay. <laughs> so, so you don't need to worry about that. It's it's all about plants. And, I think there's a, there's an oxalis group too, isn't there? There is. Facebook? There's there's yeah. planted oxalis, which yeah. is uh, which is not always active, but but uh, it's certainly worth a look at. And if people wanted to get a feel for them, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Yes. flip uh, through it and have a look. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's not a lot. There's not a lot on Oxalis available literature-wise or anything like that. So I find that some of the people on that Facebook page, on the Planet Oxalis, um, uh, they know their stuff. And that's probably some of the best 
uh, people you can ask about oxalis okay. if you're not sure or, mm. or whatever. Uh, Excellent. Any, anywhere you can get your hands on that, yep. that, that readily because you can literally join the group and ask these people straight away about their plants. And, Fantastic. And they're usually more than happy to, to share with you yep. their experience with them as well. So, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, before we go on to the crocus, um, can you fill in listeners as to which markets you are at which yeah. weekend? Okay, so uh, the first Saturday I'm at Woodend Farmers Market and the first Sunday I'm at Castlemaine Farmers Market. So that was uh, last weekend. Uh, the second Saturday I'm at Kyneton Farmers Market, which was yesterday. And today I would usually be at uh, Malden Market, which is a, a really good market. And, and you can still uh, – it's only just opening now. So if you're, if you're anywhere – Within Kui of Malden, it's it's a lovely little town, and it's certainly worth a visit up there. And, and there's always great well, there's great stalls at all of them, but uh, yep. Malden's a, a good market too. Uh, the third Saturday's uh, Trentham uh, Farmers Market, um, which is a, a relatively small market, but a, a nice one. It's in a nice area too. Uh, it's a good good spot uh, Trentham between Dalesford and Woodend and Mount Aston. Pretty um, spot Trentham. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you can also go out and visit Dennis Norgate too, who's just up the road from the Trentham Far- Farmers Market, and is always worth a visit out to his place because uh, he gets some good stuff out there. Um, and uh, fourth Saturday is Lancefield Farmers Market, which, apart from the fact that it's five minutes up the road from me and I can get to sleep in till ten to eight, <laughs> um, uh, it, it is actually one of the best farmers markets that I go to. It's it's just got a, a nice feel to it. There's uh, some lovely shops in Lancefield on either side of the road uh, opposite the market, and the market's sort of up the the uh, central strip up the town. Yes. And, yeah, great stalls and good coffee in uh, in some of the cafes on the side, and, okay. and luckily they come out and serve the stall holders and uh, uh, deliver us coffee so we don't have to leave okay. our stalls or anything. Okay. Um, and, yeah, Lancefield's just a, a great little market. Yep. It's, yeah. And I believe you occasionally have an open day. Uh, yes, Fridays at home. Fridays? So... so uh, usually between 10 and 3, I drop my daughter off at school and before I pick her up, uh, I have to shut. So, and so, some days I'm open a bit longer too, but um, if people are coming any distance, maybe they could give me a ring um, just to let me know they're coming. So in case something pops up uh, and I'm, I'm not there, I'd, I'd hate for someone to travel. And we should travel, say you're in Romsey. Uh, in Romsey, just out of Romsey towards yes. Lancefield on the main road. Yes. Uh, and literally just out of town. So if you drive through Romsey from... Uh, Melbourne, um, uh, from the Sunbury side, you drive through Romsey and as soon as you hit the 100k zone outside of Romsey towards Lancefield, I'm on the left-hand side. And, and have you got a sign up I, outside? I do. When I'm open, I've got a little sign that says uh, rare plants for sale okay. out, out, on, out on the uh, on the front nature strip. It's it's not very big, but uh, yep. it, it is there. Okay. Yeah. And contact number. And the, the phone number is 0438 yep. 296 yep. 006. Okay, good. Yeah. Let's now, oh, well, we better go to our next caller and then we'll come back to the crocuses. We've got uh, Coral, who's in Lancefield. Good morning, Coral. Coral, are you there? No, we seem to have a problem there. Okay, I'll put Coral back on hold and we'll see if we can get her back. Um, while we're sorting that out, let's crocuses. go to the crocuses. Yes. Um, well, the... The last couple of years I've had, uh, I've probably got about 40 or 50, maybe even 60 different sort of species and cultivars of crocus now. And 
for the past sort of three years, I've managed to have at least one crocus flower, uh, one crocus flower in flower from the last week of February right through to October. Goodness. Um, which is a, a pretty good feat that for is. a little uh, for one spe- uh, one genus of uh, plants. Um, so, but the, they sort of tend to um, most most of the species tend to congregate in the autumn and the spring side, yes. and there's fewer of them in the middle during the winter. Um, and I find that the autumn flowering, the autumn and early winter flowering ones, are more inclined to like our climate. Well, it, when I say our in central Victoria, the that Mediterranean style yes, climate with right. hot, dry summers, cold, wet winters, and gen- generally through Victoria, I guess as well. So the the the, the autumn, early winter flowering ones are, are much more robust plants, uh, a lot easier to grow. Some of them, um, and then the spring ones usually come from high altitude mountains in uh, uh, Eastern Europe and and uh, the Middle East and up in the snow melt areas where they get much wetter springs. And we can still grow them really easily. They're good pot plants and they're good in rock gardens, but they just tend to need a little bit more moisture going into the later part of the season. Okay. They don't have a milk. chill requirement. Too, yeah, and they? they like it a lot colder in winter too. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I find they sort of grow a little bit differently in Australia where they don't, when they're not encased in permafrost and snow, yeah. They, yeah. they actually grow at a similar rate to what the, the more Mediterranean ones do anyway. Um, but they, they definitely... Uh, they definitely can handle much colder climates, the the, the spring flowering ones, and they, okay. and they do like a little bit extra water sort of later in the season. Yep. Um, well, which one would you recommend for using in lawns? I, one, one of my favourites for the lawns, I didn't bring one down today, and it's it's certainly one of the earlier flowering ones, is called uh, Crocus serotinus selsmanii, and it you can get... Um, five to six bulbs off one bulb each year. So one, okay. you plant one and they're big bulbs. They're, yes. they're, they almost look like small gladiolus bulbs. Um, and from that one bulb, you might end up with, as I say, six or seven bulbs by the next season. Flowering so it increases bulbs. quickly. Yeah, very, yes, very that's quickly. good. Yeah. Um, and again, it's a, crocuses are the sort of things, if you want them to naturalise, you've got to dig them up every couple of years and separate them and plant them out and spread them out spread until you've them, covered yeah. your area that you want yeah. to do. Um, they won't shift themselves around. Uh, another good one's uh, Crocus gulinii, which um, uh, multiplies at a, at a similar rate. Both of those set seeds, so if you uh, if you uh, are active enough to get out and and collect the seed when it's ripe, and it doesn't last long, it sort of ripens and bursts, and then the ants carry it off, and you never see it again. So, but if you if you know where the buds are and you can get them, uh, you can certainly uh, sow seeds. They grow. Most crocus grow fairly easily from seed, and it's a good way to multiply them. Mm. Yeah. And then you can plant them out mm. as well. The Tommies self seed in my garden. Yeah, yeah. yeah they yeah. spread around, and and they're ones that are probably like the hills a little bit more too, being sort of uh, later later in winter and, yeah. and early spring. So, but yeah, there's a, a big garden up at, up the uh, Mount Macedon too that's got uh, half an acre of uh, Thomasinia. Wow, <laughs> that must growing. be fantastic. Yeah, yeah yes. it's pretty yeah. good. Uh, yeah. And there's I'm sure there's a few places in the Dandenongs too. Yeah. Um, that, that have quite big drifts of Crocus thomasinianus, which is another good strong grow, but for later in the season. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a couple. They're good multiple. And uh, the saffron crocus is really good to multiply too. I have trouble flowering it though, and I haven't quite figured it out yet. Um, just every other crocus species I've got, uh, if it's a flowering-sized bulb, it puts a flower up, but um, the saffron must need a bit of more of a hot spell 
then I give all my other crocus so they don't tend to f- – so I've got about three or 4,000 bulbs of them. Right. And the last two years I haven't had a single flower off them. So really? I'm doing something wrong, but I'll, I'll figure it out. Yeah, it is, it is a little <laughs> bit. But, uh, but the good thing is is every year they multiply. So I'm getting more and more of them. So when I finally figure out what the trick is to flower them, I'll have a decent crop and uh, – I might be able to retire early or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with harvesting yeah, yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> That's the hard bit. Uh, we'll go to uh, Bernie, who's in Langwarren. Good morning, Bernie. Good morning to you all. Um, I have a question on roses. Yes. I have sandy silt soil um, facing north. I have got roses there at the moment, but in the real hot weather, it really knocks the hell out of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm moving them to a east-facing position, which gets um, morning sun up until around about 2 o'clock, and then because of the house, comes into shade. I'm hoping that that will be a much better position where I've already got a yellow rose, I think, called um, uh, Ransom, is it, or something? King's nice Ransom. yellow rose, anyway. Yes. Uh, I did hear years ago that Kevin Hines said if you haven't got clay in the soil, you can get a, like a lump of clay, mm. put it in a bucket, dilute it and pour it as a water um, feed onto the um, rose. Uh, is that a good idea? Um, yes, you, you could. You could uh, just incidentally, you shifting to that easterly aspect will be really good for your roses. In your situation? Well, there's one there already, and it does quite well. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, you'd be wise to mulch your garden now. Oh, yeah, there's leaf mulch and um, uh, tanning bark on the um, top. Right. But don't have the mulch too thick at oh, this no, time no, of the no, year. No, because okay. the water won't go in, will it? Yes. Yep. And, yes, you could use that clay mixture um, to, to help the soil to try and retain... Uh, more moisture if you can. Yeah, would I put a um, wetting agent on it as well? Yes, you can get. Uh, um, you can get a um, seaweed wetting agent that would seaweed be useful. One, yeah. Yes, m- more than a chemical wetting agent. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I'd I'd use that probably about every, once every two months. Ah, oh, fair enough. Okay, good. And give them plenty of water, of course, because it goes straight through. Yes, yes. All right, good. Um, just can I ask a couple more? Yes. Okay, I've got um, a geranium in a like on a pedestal in a pot. Now they're getting a little bit ragged. Um, I'm limited to the size of pot that I can put on there. Uh, if I give them a good cut back and repot them in say um, I don't know September, mm. um, would that be a good idea or not? Sounds like a great plan. Yep, and a big feed. And a big feed. A good feed, yeah. Yep. yep. Would I put um, the feed on after or in the soil? Both. Both. <laughs> yeah, give them give them a solid feed. With I'd, I'd use something organic. Like some dynamic blood. lifter. Yep, dynamic lifter would be fine. Yeah. And then some couple of liquid feeds over the summer. Hmm. And I've also got some bedding begonias in the ground. Um, it's too early to cut them because if they uh, get a frost, they'll get burnt. So I'll just cut the top off around about September again. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. And finally, please. Now I have a passion fruit. Uh, it was supposedly a black passion fruit, um, and it's come up as a yellow one. And to me, it's pretty hopeless. Uh, the skin is all soft and um, not much juice in there at all. 
Um, I, I, I keep it because it encourages the bees and gives me a bit of protection from next door's uh, like inlook, if you like, and my outlook. Um, I, I've got another one that my son bought me as a black one. Hopefully it's, hopefully it's a black one anyway. Can I put that next to it? I can't see why not. No, I can't. Again, it's sandy silt soil, but I found that the last one I had, it did marvellously well and gave me plenty of fruit, mm. but I think the roots went under a garage next door. Right. Yeah, it'd be nice and cool. Yes. Yes, yes <laughs> that's right. So I can do that? Yes, I see yeah. no reason why not. How yeah. far away from it would I do that? Oh, it can even intertwine. Yeah, I would have thought you could put it pretty you close, really. You can put it really. pretty close. As long as you fade if them I enough. Yeah. It, yeah. I'd cut the roots off the other one, wouldn't I? Sorry? If I, intertw- uh, no, if I put it too close, wouldn't I cut the roots into the other one? Not that I'd mind that, mind. Would only be on one side. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. I don't oh, think okay, that'd be yeah. too much of a problem. Yeah. You've so just I can got put to... it like within a foot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. You've yeah. just yeah. got to keep the feed up to them. That's oh, right. yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay. All right. Many thanks for your time, and I always think we learn something from your program. Oh, that's good. <laughs> good. Okay. Bye bye. <clears throat> right. Um, I must uh, remind you all before we continue, because we're finishing at, at 9.15, that uh, we do have our big radio shon, Radiothon program next Sunday. So uh, this is the one time of the year when we ask uh, all of you, we try and tempt you with lots and lots of, of gardening goodies and products to, uh, to really dig deep and to... Uh, to uh, grab yourself some bargains, but also in the same time you are supporting not only the gardening show but 3CR in general. And uh, we really look forward to having a, a great program next next Sunday. We've been uh, set a program target of 13,000. So in past years, uh, I know all you listeners have been incredibly generous in supporting us. So uh, we are really looking forward to uh, having a, a great show next weekend, running right from 7.30 through until 10 o'clock. Um, this is, as I say, the one uh, fundraiser for the year, for the uh, the station and for the show. So uh, we really need you to, uh, to dig deep and support us for another 12 months because uh, we love bringing the gardening show to you. We love hearing from all our listeners we we also learn it's a real exchange of ideas here on this program Uh, we love talking to all of you and uh, as I say we'd love you to support us next week in our uh, our major fundraiser all right um, while we've still got a few moments um, Greg let's get back to the crocus crocus well uh, the next one I'll talk about uh, it's the best of both worlds. It's it's one of my favourite ones. I've got a soft spot for crocuses with feathers on the outside. I don't know if you can see just on the outers of the petals there, they get these beautiful little feathering on the outside of the petals. But, but on every second one? Uh, it's yeah, yeah. The so yes. so uh, the, the crocus, uh, they're in the iris family. Yes. Um, and as with a lot of things in the iris family, there's lots of threes. So the things come in threes a lot. Uh, and the crocuses are definitely a good example of that. They have three outer petals, mm-hmm. three inner petals, um, and three stamens, and usually the stigmas split into three at the, at the tip as well. Um, so the three outer, outer petals are have the these beautiful have feather, the feathering. feathering. Yes. Uh, and then the inner ones are usually... Uh, so crocus levigatus uh, has... It's sort of a, a soft, uh, silvery mauve sort of colour, and it has these very dark purple... Uh, feathering stripes on the outside. Um, uh, when they open up, 
the 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 pollen and the stamens are white, and the uh, the stigmas sort of a, a, an orangey yellow as well. So they're quite attractive when they open up. Now the the, the good thing about this one is, is as I say, the, the feathered ones I've got a bit of a soft spot for, and they don't always multiply very quickly. A lot of the okay. feathered ones. This one multiplies by bulb really well, but it also produces a lot of seed ah. and and is a, a really easy one from seed and you can get numbers up quite quickly from it. So uh, it's a great one for that. Um, and the other one I bought in is probably my favourite crocus and they're not looking their absolute best this morning. They, they sort of looked at their best about a week ago. Um, it's one of the crocuses closer related to saffron. I was it's, going uh, to say, yeah. yes, because of the stamens, they're such a bright orange like yeah. a saffron, aren't so they? So it, it's a uh, crocus uh, longiflorus albus, um, uh, and it's one of the ones where the, the flowers will come up well well above the foliage. The foliage grows sort of later through the season and into spring. Mm. The flower comes up almost by itself. Um, <clears throat> longiflorus albus has got perfectly white flowers. Uh, the centre, very centre, is a bit yellow, um, the stamens are quite long and bright yellow and the stigmas split into three all the way down, uh, probably right even down to the perience tube, down to the bulb almost probably, and they're bright orange like saffron. And the, the, that intense bright orange against the white is just it's, amazing. Oh, it's, it's, it's spectacular. It's one of my favourite. Really favorite spectacular, crocus. yes. Um, and, and the fact that it sits so high up above the foliage, it really stands yeah, out. Yeah, so you've got a clump of beautiful pure white flowers with, mm. and this bright orange uh, uh, bright orange uh, stigmas on it. It's, it. It really is one of my favourite uh, Coming crocus. back to the feathered ones, that'd be fantastic in bud yes, before they yeah, open. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, can, you can see all that, the, the, in, yeah. in fact, the, yeah, the feathered ones, the, the thing I like about them the most is because I, I do a lot of gardening at night outside and, you know, if I want to see a crocus in flower at night, I've got to take it inside or put it near a heater or something. Yes, um, right. Yeah. So the, the good thing about the feathered ones is the best, they're best assets on the outside of the bud so you can, uh, you can go out at night time and, and uh, fully appreciate the, uh, at least part of the flower at night time where the, the, the straight-coloured ones are obviously, uh, you know, um, uh, whatever colour they are on the outside as they are on in. So yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so, and again, the, the longer florist albums I've had, uh, I, I got that off Marcus Harvey quite a few years ago now, and it's finally getting to the size. I might be able to sell a couple in the next year or so. But the Levergardus, the, the feathered one, I've, I've got quite a few of. But, um, yeah, I, uh, the... The longer florist albus is yeah definitely one of my favourites and and uh, I'll might have a few to sell in the next year or so but yeah so that um, pot you, that's pot you some total is it that's it that's all yeah. I've got wow okay. yeah. <laughs> and I've managed to get some seed off it in the last couple of years too okay so, yeah. uh, it, and and a lot of, like a lot of these bulbs once you get a critical mass of them then all of a sudden you've got a heap of them if if you keep an eye on them and divide them and um, and don't forget, too, a lot of these plants, if you don't want to divide them, they're quite happy to sit. The species things sit in the ground for years. Okay. Um, so you don't have to dig them up and divide them. It's only if you want to be greedy and want heaps of them, yes. which I do. So. Yes. Yeah, which you also need with crocus, too, don't yeah, you? Yeah. I mean, you need a decent crop. Oh, you, you need it. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine a whole drift of, of the, yeah, the alba? Yeah, yeah. Really easily. Wouldn't it be stunning? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Oh, 
Very worthwhile. What what general conditions do they like? I mean, if you're going to actually be brave and put it in the garden, what, yeah. what well, conditions? Well, again, like the same with the, the oxalis before, they, yes. the, the hot, dry sun. Not necessarily hot with the crocus, actually. A, lot, a good spot would be underneath deciduous trees and things like that as okay. well. So as long as it's dry in summer and yes. they get sun and moisture in winter. Okay. What about chill requirement? Well, as I said, I don't know. I haven't found any of the crocus that I grow. If I've mm. got a flowering size bulb, it, it, apart from the saffron crocus, has a flower. Okay. So I don't know that uh, there might be some with some of the spring flowering ones, but not that I've noticed yep. uh, out in yep. Romsey. And I don't get okay. heavy frosts, so yep. they tend to be pretty good. Okay. You might have a bit more trouble maybe in, in Melbourne, but I, I don't think they're not like tulips that need that sort of yep. cold snap right. to, yep. Yep. to really perform. They, they seem to do okay without that. Okay. As long as they're dry in summer and yep. sunny and wet in winter. Excellent. Yep. Graham, very quickly, um, we haven't spoken about the rose you brought in. I've got a rose that's flowering in 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 June. Um, Certainly is, Pam, and it's called the Phoenix Rose. Yes, and it was re- released for as a fundraiser for the CFA after the uh, Black Saturday fires. And Phoenix means means rising from the ashes. Right. And Phoenix is uh, a, a warm pink. It's got a brilliant perfume. Bred by the Guillot family in France. There are five fifth-generation um, um, family of rose breeders. And um, we've had it growing in the nursery now for about the last three or four years. And it's been a really great performer. Its feature is its fantastic perfume. And we've also got a rose that's amongst a number of different roses now. It's even flowering in the winter. Fantastic. So we are nearly got 12 months flowering roses. Wow. Crazy. All you other plant people out there, you must look at us with such envy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, very quickly, Graham, you've got a rose pruning demo on this afternoon, 2 o'clock. Yes. Um, Quickly give out the address, how to get to Clonbernane. We'll go straight up the Hume Freeway. You'll find the Clonbernane sign, C-L-O-N-B-I-N-A-N-E, and you come up the ramp and you'll see the rose... Um, Silky Rose Farm signs, and we're about 500 metres from those signs just off the Hume Freeway. Okay. And that starts at 2 o'clock today. Excellent. Um, very quickly, Craig, your address and phone number? 138 Alinda Mombolk Road in Alinda, 9751-2163. Closed on, closed on Tuesdays. Yep. And, Greg, if people want to contact you to find out which market you're at, um, what's that phone number again? The phone number is 0438. Two nine six double zero six. Okay, that's great. We've run out of time. Uh, don't forget, next week is our big Radiothon show. Hope to hear from all of you next Sunday. But uh, until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.